So we'll see what this at bat shows Tim as Pineda comes home with a first pitch that Tim drills to left field. And welcome to the ballpark. Bring him home, one nothing. I think you and I set that up pretty well. Goodness. <laughs> How about one pitch, one to nothing. Tim Anderson looking first ball fastball, and he took it way back. All right. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to podcast episode number two. This is The Rambling on Gambling. I'm your host, Big Three. Along with me here is Greg Propovich. Um, quick shout out to our sponsor once again, Shot Quality Bets. Uh, going to start getting into the betting sphere here and start building some models based on shot expectations, shot shot quality, and some of those, those cooler things that we're seeing in NBA, NCAA basketball, and more. So pretty excited about that. But as we get rolling here, maybe just recap some of our takes from episode one. How are you doing today, Greg? And what do we got from episode one? How are you feeling about your Yankees and the Phillies here? I'm uh, doing great, man. Good to be back here. Appreciate all the support from uh, the gambling Twitter world out there. And yeah, last episode, we talked about uh, the Yankees and Phil's potentially getting hot. The Yankees uh, got hot with the COVID fever, that's for sure. But uh, despite those uh, obstacles, they were able to take two or three from uh, Boston, which is major for their divisional hopes. They had a fan throw a baseball at Verdugo's back, which uh, was quite the scene at Yankee Stadium. They lost Tim Castro to a torn ACL. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we're taping this Monday night. Uh, Boston is kind of, was kind of reeling, but they curb-stomped Toronto tonight. But before tonight, they lost six of eight in three straight series. So, um, yeah, it, the Yanks can kind of claw their way back into the division race here. And then, uh, well, did you watch any of that series this weekend? Oh yeah. I mean, I had Boston on, on Sunday night, so that was a lot of fun to watch, but yeah. I mean, I think like we said, Boston pitching just wasn't going to hold up. Right. Like we see them today, just beat the um, blue Jays tonight scoring 13 runs, right? Like that's, if they're going to score 13 runs, it doesn't matter who's pitching. Right. But where you see the problem is when the pitching doesn't show up and we start to see some of that regression, that's where you could see a team like Boston, you know, losing five, six, seven in a row and just starting to lose that division lead. Look, their offense is, is undeniably great. It's going to be a constant for them but you know the pitching was totally outperforming who they are let's be honest and Alex Cora is known rule bender to uh win by any means and I think he was a a major tack boy with the likes of Garrett Richards uh after like seven Tommy John surgeries pitching the best season of his career so, something was a little awry there so yeah um you know I think the pitching was Nick Pavetta as well, just a, a known mediocre man, really uh, pitching up way above expectations here. So when you see even Rodriguez, I mean, he what on Friday, I think he went he didn't allow a single run. I don't know how many innings he went seven or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's not sustainable. And obviously this version of the Yankees offense that Boston was fortunate enough to see this weekend is not the same version of the Yankees offense. So continue to see the second half, but I agree. I mean, seeing the Yankees who were 0 and six against Boston coming into this series, right. To pull two of three, given the circumstances with all of this COVID stuff, like I would agree is super impressive and, and definitely a good sign going forward there. Oh, for sure. And I mean, they're always going to be tough to beat at home, the Yankees, but like we said, the Red Sox schedule gets a lot tougher here over the next month or so. So uh, I, th- I think the Yankees can claw themselves back in it. Hopefully, you know, they get judged back here sooner rather than later. And I think they will make some kind of signing. An interesting note, though, is that they're facing year four of being over the luxury tax. So uh, that incurs a major cap hit or a, a major luxury tax penalty, I should say, that uh, I think would preclude them from making a really big splash at the free agent, at the uh, trade deadline, rather. They have $3 million or so to work with, so I 
I definitely think they'll, you know, make little signings here and there that uh, keep them under that threshold, but I don't see them going out and getting a, a major bat who's going to cost a lot of money for that reason. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about your Phillies here? Obviously I think what they just won three of four against the Marlins um, since we talked about them in that first episode. Uh, I mean, what did we see? Two of them went to extras. One of them, they were up 2-0 going into the ninth, right? Allowed the Marlins to tie it, got delayed till the next day and did pull it out in extras. But bullpen obviously held its own in extras. They won both their two games that, that went, went the distance or went to extra innings. I mean, you feeling same way about Phillies? Think they have a chance to challenge the Mets up there? You know, I'm, I'm coming around to the Hector Neris super there you fan go. that you've instilled in me from uh, week one of the season here now but i i do think the phils are probably the hottest team that nobody is really talking about uh yeah they've won five and six they're finally getting healthy more importantly uh their lineup hasn't been healthy together all year and you're kind of seeing the firepower of it now that they are wheeler has been really good this year quietly nola not so much but you know they're still a formidable one too and I really think the engine of this team is DD. Uh, he's only played 45 games this year, but they're 10 and three since he came back on July 2nd in games where he's had an at bat and only one of those games he didn't start. And since May 3rd, they're 19 and five with him getting at least one at bat. Um, and again, that same thing, he started all but one of those games. So, uh, it, that kind of just shows not only the lengthening of the lineup that DD provides, uh, also a good balance for the kind of righty-heavy team. He provides a good lefty bat in the middle there, but he's also really steadying defensive influence up the middle. And as we know, up the middle defense is a major key for baseball success. So I think they're poised to make a run, man. They're they're plus. 450 to win the division right now. And I think I might get involved. I, I, uh, if their bullpen can hold up even in the slightest and, you know, back in the Phillies full game or especially for a season is not for the faint of heart. Their bullpen's going to make it interesting with the walks, but I do believe that they have the offensive firepower and, you know, kind of, kind of enough decent starting pitching arms to keep themselves in it till the very end here. Yeah, I would agree. That I mean, that race is going to be really interesting too, right? I mean, you add in the Nationals who I think will – I mean, they're going to continue same thing with the offensive production um, between Trey Turner and Soto. It'll be interesting to monitor that Castro news, see if he comes back at all this year. But, yeah, that'll be a fun division to follow for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's kind of up for grabs. The Mets really aren't running away with it. It looked like they were – just about to get healthy, but then boom, the ground to the DL when got hurt the other night. So, uh, I mean, it, it's really up for grabs out there. And I, I think any of those three teams are poised to win it. The Braves seem to be buyers too, shockingly at the deadline, despite losing Acuna. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I mean, I think the Braves pitching is downright bad, but um, yeah, obviously some unfortunate breaks there too with Soroka, right? Um, sure. I was shocked to see that too. I mean, Cubs, Jock Peterson was obviously one of the guys that was was probably going to go from this Cubs team. You would have liked to see a little more than what they got for him. But I mean, yeah, it that was kind of shocking that that was the final destination there for sure. But that'll be a fun division to watch going <laughs> forward. It's interesting the Braves lineup construction because it seems like even with Jock, I still see Arcia and Heredia, who are <laughs> every day in the lineup, who are two of the most thoughtless hitters I've, I've seen in the, in the past some odd years. Uh, they really don't seem to go up with any sort of mental approach or looking for any type of pitch or or locking away any zone. So, uh, you know, I've, I've seen some truly atrocious at-bats from those two, and they're still slotted in the lineup every day. So I'm not sure how that quite works. But, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, what, we'll see. The Braves still have a great home field advantage, and it's a tough place for opposing teams to go, go and get a win. <laughs>
top, who not? Tell me who rock, who sell out in the stores? You tell me who flop, who cop the blue drop? Who jewels got pops? Who mostly goes you down to the blue drop? The same old pimp, mace, you know ain't nothing changed but my limp. All right, as Big and Puff said right there, we're going to do a little who's hot, who's not. Talk about teams and players who are trending up or down or on a streak of other varieties. So, B, give me a couple of teams you think are hot here. I mean, hot, I don't know. <laughs> There's so many good teams that you could go with for this, right? Who's hot? Dodgers are getting hot. You know, like you have some of these teams, White Sox, that are really hot, but I'm going to go the unconventional route here and I'm going to go with the Detroit Tigers. Yeah. I mean, maybe season wide, we're looking at a team that probably doesn't have much of a chance to win the division. Right. I think they're 14 games out right now as we sit here on, on Monday night, but they just, what they swept the twins winning and on one of them, they won very convincingly, convincingly Willie Peralta, seven innings scoreless. I think they won seven zero maybe on Sunday they beat them the other two games, one of which was a bullpen game. Uh, I think it's important to bring up like this, this bullpen was impossible to back, absolutely impossible to back. And I remember I, it was really, really hard to even bet first five because sometimes these starters were getting pulled three, four innings in and you start to get some of these middle relievers and you get in trouble. But the bullpen really Soto, I mean, some of these guys, they struggle with injuries early on just in the bullpen in general, but some of these guys starting to get back, starting to get some at least passable arms. And I think over like the last 15 games, last 30 games, maybe they're like 12th, 13th, 14th bullpen ERA. Like they're really starting to come around to where they're not unbettable for full game. And I think, I mean, are they a team that's going to make the playoffs? Probably not, but they just won again today, Monday night here, 14 to zero or something like that against the Rangers. Um, And Gibson was on the mound, right? Like I think, this offense has the potential to be really good. We'll see if Willie Peralta is really as good as he's playing right now. But I think that if, as the relief pitching comes around, you have like some passable starters on this team, right? Like I think Casey Mize is like really starting to come into form after not looking great in his starts that he had last year. Um, I don't know. I think that this team could at least make the run to 500, maybe a few games above 500 here. And in at some point, maybe get themselves into, like maybe they're a wild card contender. I don't think ultimately they make the playoffs, but definitely one of the hotter teams and one of the teams that probably not enough people are talking about at this point. Yeah. I mean, just to cut in, they're averaging 7.2 runs per game over the last five. So yeah. Uh, and two of those were seven inning games, right? Against the twins. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fair point. So uh, the, the bats have really heated up here. and it seems like they're, they're kind of um, getting, a lineup identity that they hadn't really had all year, right? They're, they're kind of rolling out the same guys, which for a while it just seemed like they were platooning a kill Badu with like Nico Goodrum and Eric Hase and all, all these, all, all these guys that would just kind of play like three or four days a week and not uh, be kind of staples of the lineup, but they seem to have kind of figured it out and playing some decent ball. Yeah. Um, and then who's not here? I mean, it's pretty hard to go or to not go with the Astros here. I mean, this is after I just talked them up four days ago. Of course, they go and do this. And they just got absolutely embarrassed by the White Sox this last week. I mean, I think what the White Sox starters went 21 innings, allowed four earned runs or something like that. And this is a team that relies heavily on their bats too, right? And so to have like games where they're losing zero to four, whatever, to the White Sox is pretty embarrassing. And I think like, I mean, obviously there's still pieces that they're going to get back. They're going to get Bregman back um, at some point here. Like, I don't know. That is just, that was a really embarrassing series. And I think for me having bet on them three times in that series, maybe and losing all three, that was just not the showing I was looking for. Yeah, that was uh, a rough weekend for the Strohs for sure. You had the inflatable trash cans floating around the outfield. Uh, I saw a lot of gambling Twitter on the Astros against Rodon on Sunday. And I was myself included. Yeah. Yeah. I was leaning them too, but um, I don't know. I, I I was kind of doing other stuff and forgot to bet it thankfully. And uh, he pitched what a 
one hitter, absolute gem, and yeah, really, really showed out. So, um, yeah, I mean, what about you? How about on the player side? Who are we looking at? Who's hot? Who's not? Who are you looking to target in some of these player props, maybe? And um, who are you looking to fade? Yeah, for sure. So you know, there's been there's been the staples all season. Like Vlad's been an absolute wagon, as has Otani and Schwarber before his injury, but. Uh, some of the under-the-radar guys to keep an eye on for props. Um, David Fletcher um, is the leadoff guy for the Angels, and, and he's kind of like this David Eckstein type, real scrappy, short hitter who just constantly puts the ball in, in play. He had, like, the quietest 26-game hitting streak <laughs> I can remember in quite some time that just ended on Sunday. But, uh, I mean, he's – is just constantly on base and putting the ball in play. He's had two plus hits in seven of his last nine games entering today. I think he had a leadoff double tonight as well. So it just seems like he's always on base for, for Otani here. Um, so he's a good guy to eye for like over one, 1. 1.5 hits. Those are usually plus money on FanDuel. So I would keep an eye on him. Uh, the other guy who has kind of been, a streaky hitter throughout his career, but Willie Adamez over his last 30 games is hitting 362 with eight homers, 22 ribbies, and a 1.172 OPS. Uh, he's been absolutely great for the Brewers, especially at home. And he's got two plus hits and gone over the hit run RBI threshold in three straight. So he's definitely a guy who I'm going to look to target. And, uh, I mean, this guy's just one of my favorite players in baseball. He's, like, totally slept on, gets no love. But Luis Arise on the Twins, you know how much I've loved him for, for the days, B. Even, even though he uh, screwed us with that error in Oakland and that game in May that, that cost us uh, a pretty penny. But uh, the man just constantly makes contact. He's, and he's kind of underperformed this year compared to who he actually is, but he's had 16 hits in his last 38 at bats, uh, 463 on base percentage and uh, two plus is a good two plus hits guy to target as well with the right matchup. I hit one of his three plus hits props this year. That was like, I can't remember exactly what the price was, but it was like plus a thousand or something. Um, it was a nice casher. So he's definitely, He's definitely a good guy to target here as we uh, as we enter late July and early August. And then I want to also focus on a couple usual suspect type guys who are seem to be on the cusp of, I guess, what I'll call a reverse regression or, I guess, uh, progression to the mean, right? Like guys who are typically great but have struggled um, so far this season. I, I think an obvious one is DJ LeMayhew, even though he has – Absolutely no help. Uh, he's really starting to pick it up as of late. And um, he's been kind of the one constant in the Yankees lineup. Torres and Sanchez have been really up and down. But, um, you know, LeMahieu got off to this atrocious start. But over the last month or so, he's really started to pick it up. And then um, a, a bunch of other guys are kind of at that point as well. Freddie Freeman's another one. He's got... 15 hits in his last 38 at-bats, um, four homers as well. Mookie Betts, another one, 17 hits in his last 40 at-bats. He's batting 425 over his last 15, day, over his last 15 days. So uh, he's really getting hot, although he was a late scratch today. And then um, two other guys I really want to focus on, though who I know you want to talk about too, are Juan Soto and Tim Anderson. Um, these guys, I mean, as you know well, B, and all of our Twitter chats know very well, I'm the driver, the conductor of the Juan Soto bandwagon. I've been saying since 2019 that I think he's the best player in baseball. He just absolutely commands the plate every single at-bat. Um, he's really starting to pick it up here. He's got 16 hits in his last 40 at-bats, five homers. And this was entering today at another monster game today. So, I mean, it's only a matter of time. He's just too talented to not uh, be, be dominating. And he's, he's kind of been hurt this year as well. So 
he's um he's gonna get back to his usual self. But yeah, it was three three for four tonight with five RBIs and two home runs. So <laughs> really uh picking up exactly where he left off before the all-star break. And um, Tim Anderson, another guy who had another home run today and is really starting to pick it up as well. Uh, over his last 40 at-bats, he's got 19 hits. He's hitting 512, and really the driving force of that White Sox lineup, which is another lineup that's kind of had a ton of diversity and turmoil throughout the season a lot of guys getting hurt and now in the lineup but so yeah he got off to an awful start by his standards and has really been dominating um, over the last 15 20 games or so and I, I know that's music to your ears because you have a ta for al mvp ticket on your hands don't you oh yeah you really teed me up here so i even have i mean i even have a dj ticket for the al obviously this is where it gets tricky. So I, I messaged a couple guys that, I mean, you were you included, but I messaged a couple guys this week and said, is there any way that Tim Anderson wins the AL MVP? Like any way? I mean, obviously right now you'd say balls in Otani's court, especially, I mean, we're in inning six right now of the game that he's pitching tonight still isn't allowed to run. Um, and so like, obviously it's probably his, but if he gets hurt or something happens, you then you have Vlad who is probably way above Tim Anderson too. But I think like that chase pack or, you know, if there's injury to those top two, like that chase pack might be led by Tim Anderson. Like you mentioned like how hot he's been in his last like 30 bats, 50 at bats, whatever. But even since, so this is since June one, he's batting 345 which like I'm, he's like he started the season not great. I it's think. kind of just who he is though. Like oh he, yeah, he's like a, he's like a 330 hitter. Like I, I he really that. is. That's the thing. It's like it doesn't seem like abnormal, right? And so I I don't think it's unrealistic to say maybe the second half of the season he bats like 350 and like if he gets that average to close to the 330 range, obviously vibes there right now with way more power, but. We'll yeah. see what happens. Like, I don't think it's super unrealistic. I obviously wouldn't buy that stock now, knowing what we know about Otani and Vlad, but not going to tear that one up quite yet. I think the Soda one has a much better chance. And you talked about it earlier with DeGrom going to the IL here, but I I think, I mean, the DeGrom has not pitched a ton of games. Like he really hasn't. And he keeps, like, he's had a couple, like five inning outings. Like, do I think DeGrom has been the best player this year? in the MLB. Like, yeah, sure. I think he should probably win or in the NL, I guess, like he should probably win NL MVP, even if he does miss a few starts here, but he's shown this year, like he's not going to be available all the time. And if he continues to miss starts, I don't think it's unrealistic to see And the other guy I think here is Trey Turner, but I mean, honestly, Tatis obviously going to be the popular pick here, but if Soto continues to stay hot here, I got since June one, he's batting, 318. So if he continues to stay hot here, I think like that, that Trey Turner, Juan Soto pairing from Washington might, might sneak into there too, if they stay hot and we see a couple more misstarts from DeGrom. So that'll be interesting to watch too. I don't know how much value there is on those guys. Just like kind of boring. These MVP races feel like they're already kind of like chalked up, but this DeGrom news definitely is going to make things interesting, at least in the NL. I think Tati's definitely ahead of Soto right oh, now. Oh, for the, sure. The full body of work is definitely much far superior. Plus, Soto missed a bunch of time, although Tati's missed some time as well. But, uh, you know, he, Tati's also has, like, the kind of wow flair factor that uh, woos a lot of these impre- impressionable voters. But, yeah. uh, but when I mean- it comes down to it, like, give me Soto over Tatis all day long for the next 10 years, man. The guy is just a fucking hitter. Like, yeah. he just I, – I don't know how you get the guy out. He doesn't – he has the highest O swing percentage of anyone in baseball, which means he never swings at – he swings at pitches outside of the zone a, less, a lesser percentage than any other hitter. And his his plate command, everything he brings to the table. And I also love about him that he's like this big power hitter, but he's not like just a dud on the base pass the way Stanton is, right? Like 
Yeah. If, if he hits a ground ball and there's a runner on first and one out that, that's like semi in the hole, he'll beat it out. And it's not just an instant double play. Like he can run, yeah. got a cannon for an arm. I mean, I don't know what more you want from the guy. Is um, <laughs> just, uh, I have a huge man crush on Juan Soto. And I, I'm not it's afraid very of true. <laughs> it's very true. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, It'll be interesting to monitor those those markets for sure. I would agree Tatis over the Soto Turner um, crowd as of now. But like I said, it, I mean, we have half a season to play. A lot of stuff can come into play here with injuries. And we'll see if, if the Nationals aren't going to make the playoffs either. That's probably not super likely. So going to need some help there from the team in general. But real, real quick, wait, yeah, go let, ahead. Me, let me just talk about a couple guys who are not hot, um, extremely frigid, actually. Weirdly, Cody Bellinger is uh, has just like not been able to get it going this year. Uh, I, I love the kid; I think he's electric. But he's got five hits in his last forty-one at bats. He's been batting 098 over that time, and uh, I mean, he's he, he just he's like drawing walks and stuff. Like he'll have competitive at bats, but I think it's just one of those weird stretches of season where, for whatever reason, it's just not coming together for him. And, um, I, I mean, I'm not worried about him. I think he'll, he'll obviously put it together. And I, I want him in my lineup every day if I'm Dave Roberts, especially for the defensive acumen he brings in many different positions. But uh, he, it just seems like he's not getting the big hit. And he's all, you know, the Dodgers lineup is pretty potent. So he's off and up with runners in scoring position and chance to do real damage. And he's just like not coming through in those situations. So, just something to monitor. I'm sure he'll figure it out. I'm not too worried about him. But the other guy I wanted to focus on is uh, Whit Merrifield, who really is the engine and besides maybe Salvi Perez. Salvi, yeah. Best player on uh, on the Royals, I would say. Until he gets it back going again, I would not back like any sort of Royals team total over in any capacity or even full game overs because what it seems like when Merrifield's not hitting, the Royals just don't really hit either. Um, I feel like the, their offense has been really quiet of late. I know they're cold. What did they, did they lose two or three to the Orioles this last series? Maybe they lost two or three to the Orioles and they lost to Matt Harvey, right? They, I believe they, oh, yeah. they got shut out by Matt Harvey, which is uh, never a good sign for the old offense. Uh, yeah, they, a, yeah. a lot of, let's see, yeah. In, yeah, after six scoreless against the Royals, Matt Harvey still holds a 7 1 3 ERA. So, yeah. probably five not. of their last seven games, they've scored four runs or less. So, uh, I would, I would chill on their offense for a little bit until Wick gets back going. I, I don't think he'll be cold for very long. Honestly, he's just too good of a player. But uh, I would I would definitely maybe even look to back some Royals team total unders here in the immediate near term yeah. while he's struggling. I like it. All right, let's talk. Obviously, with big NBA game tomorrow, we probably have to say something here. NBA finals big game one. six. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot to take in, I guess, from game five. It looked like, I mean, at least myself coming into that game, I was thinking that, I mean, I talked about it a lot with people. Like, it was hard to see a road team winning any of those games. Like, honestly, after watching the first four, you watch the first two in Phoenix, and it was like, wow, like, they might sweep. You know, like, they just look so good in Phoenix and, like, some like Drew Holiday and stuff like just look terrible, like some of those role players on the road. Um, and so, but you, and then you see three and four, it's just so different, right? Like, I mean, it, it looks like it was hard to imagine the Suns winning any game, you know, like you just see well, a complete well, shit. Let me just, let me just interject here. I, I think it bears mentioning that like every single basketball media outlet year after year, like clockwork overreacts, grossly to every single game right like we know we know how this goes the role players look great at home and they look like they've never played basketball before in their life on the road like this happens every single year yeah and every every year like just simp media is ready to anoint the winner of game one and two the champion 
Well, oh, yeah. Not, and it, I mean, like, they just have no no context for, like, the history of how these series go, right? And yeah. Then, like, over the course of the series, things change. There's adjustments. Guys can look really good one game and really terrible the next game. And that's just how it goes. It it does. It's not a necessarily a, a legacy indictment or like they're not, they don't have to wear a scarlet letter that they shot over seven from three in game four of the twenty twenty one fought like you know yeah. they they could still rewrite their history. So I I think that's kind of what happened in this series, right? Like Phoenix won the first two games handily, and everyone thought it was over. It's like, well, yeah, no, it's kind of just how these series go, and especially Phoenix is like they haven't really been tested all playoffs either. You know, they they had a, we're very fortunate. Well, let's be honest, the yellow brick road to the finals with with all the injuries yeah. uh, that their opponents incurred. So, well, uh, I think I mean. The other thing here you have is like obviously two smaller market teams, right? We, we don't have the Lakers, Celtics or whatever, but these both of these teams have extremely good home court advantages, right? Especially like year after year. I mean, obviously as like a model heavy guy, like the Bucks have by points, like running regressions, whatever on it, like the Bucks have the best home court advantage, like the most, I think it's something like 3.6 points, 3.7 points by my numbers every single year, the bucks have the best home court advantage. And I think like the Suns are up there too, especially now that they're competitive and good. And so I don't know, like this, th- that's definitely worth mentioning too, is that it did feel like if someone was able to grab one on the road, that like, that was probably going to be it, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I also just want to use this platform to mention my, pure and utter disdain for Chris Paul. Um, he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but I just can't stand this narrative that he's this fearless leader and that his constant playoff self-cuckings just go totally overlooked by mainstream media. Nobody is willing to call a spade a spade and call him the loser that he is. I mean – you know, the, the stat that's been making the rounds is he would be the, the first player ever to lose four series in which he was up to nothing in the playoffs. But, I mean, it goes a lot further than that, man. That that one series he choked away to Oklahoma City was unforgivable. Unforgivable. Two, two costly turnovers in the last minute. I think it was 2017 Western Conference. Yeah. Or semifinals, rather, um, when he was on the Clippers. But more importantly, he's had the most talented team in the playoffs, in my opinion, two separate years. That, I mean, that team they lost to the Rockets with Corey Brewer and uh, yeah. Josh Smith. You know, granted, uh, granted, they they had some injuries that that season or that year too. But I mean, they were up twenty and ready to close the series and they totally choked and uh he, he was actually hurt in that game but still like they they had the most talented team in the playoffs in multiple seasons and they didn't win and for me like a lot of how you should be remembered in the legacy pantheon or whatever you want to call it is your performance versus your expectation right and yeah to me, like, having like James Harden has never once had the most talented team besides, besides this year, but of course everyone was hurt this year. So like yeah. the actual product on the court wasn't the most talented team, right? Yeah. I mean, I think nonstop for being this playoff choker where he's never had, he's never, he should never have been expected to win once in his career. Chris Paul, in my opinion, should be expected to win two separate rings and lost both of them. And, well, I mean, if you look at those Clippers teams, right, like it is just absolutely shocking to me that this was the first conference finals that the Clippers ever made, right, without Kawhi. Like totally. this, like those Clippers teams where you have Jamal Crawford, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, my boy J.J. Redick, you, I mean, those, those teams, there's no reason that they should, shouldn't have made at least the conference finals, if not the finals, if not one at all, right? Like it's, I think... Yeah, I mean that 
and it, it always gets thrown back on doc right like i feel like a lot of that blame gets thrown to doc but it's like at the end of the day no but but you can't have it both ways that's my point i thought chris paul was this fearless leader who yeah uh, who just pulled out the best in every single one of his teammates and uh would would lead the troops into battle like robert yeah. back in the you know like he, i see what you're saying you're saying that's there, the, there's this the, reputation the, that that just doesn't match the yeah results that that's the narrative when they're winning is he's getting the credit and then when they're losing it gets thrown on the coach yeah and and look like he's had a couple amazing performances this season but like uh at the end of the day he just doesn't win and now that i'm saying this i'll probably have an amazing game six and win game seven and i mean if three and four were any be crowned the conquering hero that uh that mainstream media wants to crown him but uh you know i i really hope he fails i'll be honest i mean when lebron shows up to your game and you can't even win at home what's what's the what's the point right i uh, think i mean yeah that not 31, to get 31 percent rotten tomato score really <laughs> out from that uh, name font onto the yeah court. i mean speaking of who's hot who's not right that movie was i know you haven't watched it but absolutely terrible i mean <laughs> they get 250 points in a basketball game for winning a rap battle. Like I honestly, I, I turned it off at, at one right. point and I was like, okay, I, I mean, it, like space jam one was just such a big part of my childhood. It's like, I have to watch this. And it was just atrocious. Absolutely wait, atrocious. Wait, LeBron raps in this movie. No, he doesn't rap. It's like the little pig or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they had put I, I, I don't know I think, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna have to boycott just there was a tweet where they did like the voiceover of like Eminem's eight mile rap and it was like the pig singing it is it's pretty solid but um yeah. I guess getting back to the game here we have what bucks minus five over under is like 222 honestly like I said this to you before but I mean I don't see the bucks have to win this game right like I don't think and I think that's probably in their minds too. Like if it goes back to Phoenix game seven, obviously they just won on the road, but you have to think their chances are pretty slim. Um, and so I think like the, this is pretty much like win or go home for both teams. Right. Like, I think, I don't know, this just, it feels like it, this is the series right here. Like if the bucks win, obviously it's over, but if the Suns win, it feels like it's, it's almost over. And so I think they win. I don't know if they cover five. I'm not super excited about laying five, but what I do think is I think this game goes under um, you look at, I mean, last, that last game obviously went way, way over. And I think like the under without having the numbers in front of me, was at least like the sharp pick um, or at least with some people, but that game went way over. And if you watch the game, you see obviously bucks down big at the start, which is never going to bode well for um, the over and in the bucks quarters, two and three, especially just ran and ran and ran. And as someone if you had an under ticket, sure. It was super frustrating watching because I mean, there was just like, it just looked like they were trying to come back even once they regained the lead, right? Like they were just running so much, like so much urgency on offense. And I, I don't think that this is a blowout. A, I don't think the bucks run away with it. And I think like, it just turns into this basically like, I mean, from a buck standpoint, you get to quarter three, you have five, seven, 10 point lead you start to take a while on possessions, right? Like you want to give the Suns as few possessions as possible to come back. And so the way that I see this game playing out is Bucks holding just a small lead the whole time and pretty much just like, you know, taking their time running with it. And I think like for the Suns standpoint, like obviously they're going to have to be incredibly efficient. We talk about role players not being as well on the road. You're going to need, I mean, what game four Booker had like 40 something. He was the only reason they even remotely stayed in the game. Like, you're going to need other guys to show up um, and hit shots. And I just don't know if they're going to, I don't see them being that efficient. Um, and so I think that it just turns into one of these low scoring games probably lands. I don't know. I, I mean, I would have it. My numbers have it going a ways under, I got like the one twelve to one Oh four. So six points of value, yeah. to the under, but we'll see. That's probably the one that I actually will play. I don't think I'll play Bucks side, even though that would be a lean, but I would say under probably my look in this one. Yeah. So I agree. I think we see um, an extremely physical kind of wrestling match type of game here. Look for PJ Tucker to be grabbing insides of jerseys. Um, Chris Paul to be doing 
is is usual flopping flailing bullshit but uh i i definitely like the under as well um i i actually think the suns will probably come out and throw a haymaker in the first quarter i think they'll cover the first quarter and might actually have the lead after one but um you know that that's kind of how game five went as well like the the suns dominated the first quarter and we're up 16 at one point in the second and then uh milwaukee just barraged a bunch of threes on them but uh i i definitely i I think in these elimination games like they always become a lot more methodical and the pace slows and it's just harder to score and not only that i mean I, i think a lot of the nba shot quality numbers back this up but like some of the shots Devin Booker has been hitting uh, <laughs> past couple of games, the degree of difficulty has been insane. And Milwaukee has basically just been selling out on taking away the corner three and just letting they're, they're like, okay, Devin Booker, I saw all you want on PJ Tucker and Pat Connaughton. And like, we're good with that being your offense, but you're not, we're not helping. Uh, you're not going to pass to these corner guys to hit open threes. And that's kind of been what we're seeing. So like, I just think the isolation offense takes a lot longer to get into and it usually lends itself to the under plus like some of the shots Booker were, was, was hitting the past couple of games are just not at all sustainable. So, well, I mean that game, they lost that game and they shot what, like 13 of 19 from the three point line or something like that, which a is shocking that they only shot 19 threes. I think they're averaging like 30 in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they shot it really well, right? Like obviously the game went way yeah. over, but I, I mean, uh, offensively that game, both teams were really efficient. And I think like in a game elimination game like this, like you probably aren't seeing teams, especially on the road where you have like the Suns players on the role players on the road. Like I just don't see them being that efficient. And I think both teams are going to try to play a little slower here, try to get better quality shots, right? Make the most of their possessions. And I think Bucks are going to try to really extend possessions as well. So I think, I mean, 222 is, is I think a point, maybe a point and a half higher than we've been seeing. And I think that that's probably an unfair adjustment um, given the that efficiency also is, is an outlier because the, the degree of difficulty on a lot of these shots is really high both ways. Not, like Devin Booker, like I mentioned, he's hit ridiculously tough shots and he's capable of doing so. But um, I, I think even the Bucks are not getting like really quality shots. A lot of it is like Chris Middleton off the dribble. And of course, these guys are capable of making these. I just think they're making them in an extremely high, high clip. And uh, I think the rest will probably let them play, it being in a, an elimination game. I think they'll probably reward a lot of Chris Paul's fuckery actually, but. um, So what are you looking for in terms of player props here? Well, let me just, before I get to the player props, I think my plan of attack is going to be, I'm going to back the Suns first quarter because I think they're going to come out and throw a haymaker. And then um, I'm going to take the Bucks live if the Suns do indeed have a lead after one, or I'll fill it out, mate try and like get to a point where they're down a certain certain margin like six or eight and uh try and get involved in the bucks and i'm gonna play the under before the game and then with player props my big sticking point here is i think the suns are losing the series on the glass uh they're being they've been totally out rebounded all series long i mean even the last the last possession of game five when uh, Giannis missed the free throw and it was a three-point game. They couldn't even get the defensive rebound off the free throws. I think it's a real sticking point. And I I think uh, Monty Williams is going to drill that into these guys. But also Cam Johnson is a really good rebounding guard forward, uh, whatever position, I guess it's like a three. But he, to me, he's a better rebounder than um, than Crowder. So I love Cam Johnson over 3.5 rebounds plus 136 on FanDuel right now. I think uh, I'll probably play 25 minutes or so because of his three-point shooting acumen. And uh, he'll get down and dirty on the glass for sure. 
I also like Mikael Bridges over four and a half boards. Um, throw that in the same game parlay. Like I said, I, I lean under here. So I think there's going to be a lot of rebounds to had, hopefully to be had rather. Hopefully uh, there's not a ton of turnovers because that almost kills rebound props. But uh, just to give you guys an idea, Cam has had three and 21, three and 18, five and 30, one in 29 minutes and four in 22 minutes. So uh, besides the, besides that game four, I mean, he's been right there. If he's playing 25 minutes, the first two games, he would have definitely gone over the the three and a half. Well, and I do want to add here too. I mean, like you look at the Clippers series, he had four, four, five, three, and four, right. Uh, About 25 minutes. So yeah, I would agree. I mean, just watching the games, right? Like he's one of the more aggressive rebounders for like the position that he's playing, like where he's at. And so, yeah, I, I would agree with that look as well. I guess the only worry is, is if Monty Williams trusts like the season Crowder a bit more. And I can see like a scenario in which Crowder comes out shooting the lights out and they want to keep him in the game a little more, but I mean, either way, I'll play 20 minutes at the very least. So um, I think, I think the 3.5 there is probably a winner. And I think I'm going to do the same game parlay with uh, that with Johnson's boards, uh, Tucker over four and a half boards. He's just relentless on the glass. I mean, always crashing, always tipping balls back out. Uh, he's I, I really love the energy Tucker brings. And as a big Harden guy, I, I still and will always love him from the Houston days. Uh, I'm going to put the under – 221.5 and now that I went on my five minute diatribe about Chris Paul I'm actually gonna back his over 21 and a half points because I think you know there's just a lot of noise of him choking a lot of people are speculating that he's hurt uh personally I don't think he'll go out just not shooting and like disengaging himself the way he kind of has been over the past couple of games so uh I think him over 21 and a half points. It's probably a winner. I bet he'll shoot five to eight free throws in this game as well. Uh, and they can't rely on, on Booker to be the only source of offense. Right. Like I think like that was a game four, right. Where Booker was, was literally their entire offense had like 42 points, whatever. And Chris yeah. Paul was absolutely terrible. Like I, I agree that they're going to have to find other ways to score and, logically that's i mean that has to be chris paul's role you know so i think i would agree that the volume will definitely be there it's just a matter of of how much of how effective he is you know totally so so yeah johnson over three and a half boards tuck over four and a half boards under 221 and a half and chris paul over 21 and a half is plus 1655 i'm also going to sprinkle a, a little bit on the same parlay but chris paul over 24 and a half points at plus 2752. Um, I think, I think there's a good chance he, he gets 25 here and it's, uh, it's good plus money, good parlay sweetener. So, I mean, you know, don't go crazy on these same game parlays, but it's always good to have a little lottery ticket skin in the game. And I, I think all these are very uh, capable of hitting. And would you agree series probably ends tomorrow? I would. I think, like I said, the way I see it is Suns throw a haymaker early, get out to a lead, and Milwaukee claws their way back. The crowd gets into it, and they probably go go up like eight or nine. They'll be tested at the end and uh, hold on to pull through. All right, we're going to transition here into the MLB, um, talk about some of the looks that we have for tomorrow, maybe some of these series that either started today um, or start tomorrow. But, yeah, looking just at the July 20th slate, I uh, got my model in front of me here. One game that really interests me tomorrow, I guess, is the first one that I'm seeing on my board here, which would be Marlins at Nationals. Um, Rogers on the mound for the Marlins. And one thing that just glaringly sticks out at me right away here is that the Nationals are 10 and 16 against lefty starters this year. Um, probably not something that I'm super interested in, in backing full game, just with uncertainties. If the Marlins bullpen, there's a couple arms in there that I really, really 
don't like, but I think maybe like a, a first five look here on the Marlins. Rogers has been tremendous and obviously nationals not seeing lefties super well. Um, I don't know. That'd be something I'd be interested in backing here. I'm seeing like plus one Oh five for the full game. Obviously don't have first five numbers out in front of me right now, but I guess, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what it gets to. It might be not quite what I'm looking for. Maybe like a minus minus one twenty range. Um, for Are first five. No, no Chisholm or uh, Cooper. Both yeah. Guys. I mean, that's the thing is like <laughs> offensively, the, the Marlins are a hard team to back offensively, right? Like on the road, averaging 3.9 runs a game. Um, and just like, you're, you're never really going to get it there. And Rogers too, has not gotten a lot of run support this year, right? Like he's, he has a 2.4 ERA and they're nine and nine in his starts, which yeah. is ridiculous. Um, I don't know. It might be something where maybe it ends up being a first five number, right. Or first five under, I think maybe that, that number, if I'm going to have to lay too much juice behind the Marlins bats, like, I mean, it might be worth it to just take the under right and count on, on them not putting up any runs of their own either. Yeah. Uh, definitely might be anything else you're looking at, or are you going to focus? You know, I I'm curious to see a couple of these. I'm going to have to think about a little more. Um, yeah, I mean, another game that I'm looking at here would be probably the Reds. Once again, first five, um, probably going to have to be run line to avoid the juice. Not super interested in backing this Cincinnati bullpen. Um, I'm curious what – I don't even know what that game finished at today, but it was in extra innings. I'm sure both bullpens are probably – What was it? 15-11. Wow. One. So, yeah, I mean, obviously both bullpens probably had to go pretty deep. Um I think, I mean, I would never really be interested in backing the Reds full game anyways, but the Mets, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, right? Like obviously have had not all their bats there um, over the past, whatever, 60 games, but Lindor out, um, right? And so they're nine and 16 against lefty starters this year too, obviously at Cincinnati, pretty hard place to play. Um, and with stock on the mound for the Mets, like that doesn't really strike a whole ton of fear in my heart. I think yeah. I'd probably be pretty interested in backing Miley tomorrow, probably first five run line, hopefully can get that at least to, to plus a hundred, maybe get some plus money there, depending on how lineups are looking. Um, we'll see Castellanos might be back tomorrow. Um, so be interested to see what happens there too. Probably won't pull on either of those yet, but both of those first fives definitely going to be at the front of my mind. Um, just throw this out there, looking at my model right now, seeing value on the Royals tomorrow, Miners on the mound, um, Lauer for the Brewers at Milwaukee. Is it is a big point of contention between us? What Huge is Mike Miner? Oh yeah, I mean I'm I'm One of your favorites. I don't hate Mike Miner, right? Like the, I mean. The Royals are eight and 11 in his starts this year, which for a team that's 37 and 55 going into today, like, I mean, he's one of their better starters and I'm not saying he's good. And we talked about the Royals bats too. So we'll see, but that's just, I'm just reading off the numbers here. Okay. Um, I also have value on Cleveland tomorrow, which really scares me. McKenzie has been all over the place. What did he have? Like nine strikeouts in a row at one point, maybe eight in a row. Um, has shown signs of being really, really good and has also just had individual innings where he's given up six, seven, eight runs. So that'll be another interesting one. I'll probably have to look at a little more. Um, also showing value on that Baltimore over, which I do like. Um, means first back game back in a long time. Um, obviously, it's been really good. 2.38 ERA, but we're probably going to get some out of the Orioles bullpen, right? The Orioles did just beat them today in um, Tampa Bay. And so I would think that they're probably not going to win two in a row in this series. Right. Um, and who knows there, but that over would definitely have my interest too. I think you're probably going to see the total priced as if we're getting a healthy means. Right. And have, coming off the, the IL like this, I don't think that, you're probably going to get the best version of means I'm seeing like over eight minus minus one ten, Um, and I think, especially with the Orioles bullpen too, you're going to get some there that would definitely have my interest as well. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. Do you have your eye on anything? Uh, yeah, I, 
I'm going to probably back the A's again in some capacity. I was, I was on them tonight uh, pretty heavily. And uh, I, I mean, the Angels just don't beat the A's quite simply. I think they're like seven and 16 against them over the last two years. Um, the A's just really have their number. And the Angels are just a much, much different team away from home. Uh, also, the A's hit lefties really well. And Jose Suarez is pitching tomorrow. So, um, you know, he is a lefty. He had a great outing against the Yankees uh, in the Yankee Stadium. But I, I just don't see uh, him performing to that same level against his team in a day game. Uh, in Oakland. And it's not like the Yankees are a team that never disappears either, right? Like we saw, who was it, like Logan Gilbert just absolutely tore him up right before the All-Star break there. Yeah. So I think like, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't put too much weight in that performance either. I just did want to say too, like, yeah, I got him 23 and 13 for plus 8.5 units against lefty starters this year. So probably... A good look. Like it was a uh, nationally televised game, though, so a lot of people will put a, a lot of stock in it. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'll probably back the A's like minus one or uh, probably first five run line. I don't think you want to do first five. I mean, the Angels bullpen. I was going to say that too. Like, even if you don't get anything out of Suarez, like this Angels bullpen sucks. Like, I mean, I'm trying to take full advantage of them if possible. It's terrible, but I also don't particularly uh, have a lot of faith in the A's bullpen. Yeah. As a pseudo A's fan, they're kind of my AL team. And I, I've just watched these Will McCain and Lou Trevino's uh, blow a game here. I mean, but even tonight, like Otani goes six, allows three hits tonight, strikes out eight, very next inning, they give up three runs, right? Like I, this bull, the, Angels bullpen is probably the last bullpen I'd be willing to back. I mean, up there with like a Braves, I guess, but I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know. That would be an interesting one too. The Angels can hit mediocre pitching and that's kind of what the is. Yeah. I mean, maybe like, why not like a team total over or something, you know, that, that could be worth a look too. Obviously with a home team, you run the risk of only getting eight half innings to bat, but I I don't think. I think that's solid. Solid look for sure. I might, uh, I might go that route. Yeah. So tying a bow on the podcast, I think another spot I want to look to back is a fill is the Phillies tomorrow against the Yankees. Uh, chatted about both teams at the top, and Domingo Herman is on the bump for the Yanks. Um, he gives up a much higher OPS to right-handers than left-handers, giving up eight o. 807 OPS to righties, 690 to lefties. So I might look to back Real Muto or uh, perhaps Hoskins, both of whom have been hot on a player prop. But uh, I kind of just like the first five over in this game because the Yankees' bullpen is getting healthy. Um, they've, they've been pitching well. They're off a day off as well. So um, Any concerns with the Yankees' bats still? Obviously not up to 100%. Like, obviously, Nola is not. But it's Nola. It's his first start off the DL. And I I think at home, they'll probably be good for maybe two to three runs in the first five innings, which should be enough to get it over the hump. So, going to take a look there. And, uh, yeah, maybe maybe some A's player props as well. We'll we'll see – when the market is out, it's tough because the the lines for the player props don't usually drop till the day of. But uh, keep keep those notifications on, and uh, we'll definitely tweet out our plays here tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. I think one more thing that it'd be hard not to mention, I guess, just looking at tomorrow, Arizona. This is coming into Monday, I guess, but five and nineteen against lefty starters, right? And they face Anderson from. The Pirates tomorrow, um, who's obviously not been super good. They are nine and eight in his 17 starts, which for the Pirates is is saying a lot, you know, and I think there are some bats on this Pirates team, right? Obviously, you see two all-star starters, Hayes, another good guy. I, I mean, they have the potential to score well. They have a huge bullpen advantage here, right? Like, obviously, Arizona's bullpen is terrible, and yeah. Rodriguez, some of these guys for the Pirates really, I mean, their bullpen's definitely above average. And so I think you have 
probably the starter advantage, probably the batting advantage and probably a bullpen advantage too. And, and likely going to get somewhere close to a PK there. So I'll probably be looking to back the pirates there as well. Just came upon that one, but yeah, that's a good look. I think, uh, I think Adam Frazier got a day off today as well. So it should be fresh poised for two, two to three hits tomorrow. Could, could be a good look on a one and a half over one and a half hits. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone tuning in. Of course, thanks again to our sponsor, Shot Quality Bets. And yeah, hopefully you guys like some of the looks that we got for tomorrow. Hopefully we can get get some wins. Um, this is kind of the first podcast, I guess, that we really gave any picks out on. So hopefully we don't embarrass ourselves and go 0 for 6 out there tomorrow. But <laughs> That would be great, but uh, I, I believe in us. So do I. I think, yeah, I think these are some good looks. Obviously, we both put some time into to looking at stuff as we always do. Hopefully later on one of these podcasts, we'll spend some time talking about a little more in depth, the methodology of how we go about making these picks and talk through some of that stuff as well. Fly ball left field. Back is pro far to the wall. It's gone.